Good morning. Several years ago, when I was doing uh, student ministry still, we had an end-of-the-year celebration for the graduating seniors. We had 24 seniors that were graduating that year that were moving on. So we got them together with their friends and their family and had a nice dinner for them and it had a moment where we could just kind of celebrate them and hear from them and they could share memories. And side note, one of the things that I always found funny every year is that several people would inevitably share something along the lines of, uh, why did, I, I know we weren't that close. Why, why didn't we hang out more? It's like, well, I don't know, but thanks for bringing it up right now. Because <laughs> now you planted that. So you're like, yeah, why didn't we? It's like you leave that night angry. Why didn't we hang out more? But as we were talking in, in this evening and sharing stories and memories and things like that, uh, I, I started to realize something, that a number of these students were there for a particular reason. Uh, we had gotten to be close with a young woman named Steph. Uh, Steph is just awesome. Steph is like, if you could take happiness and joy and like morph it into a person and give it like legs and arms, like that was Steph. Just so incredibly excitable, like made up. She'd say some things where it's like, I don't think that's a word, but that sounds really good, and I'm encouraged by that. She was, in, um, she was overseas for, uh, for six months and came back, and, and she like, gave Bethany and I this care package, and one of the things she had for me is she'd listened to sermons of mine for months and like written notes on it and encouragement. I'm like, who does that? She once made a cake for a friend of hers to celebrate them getting a B. Not an A. That was B cake. She made a cake as they got, they, they got the, this person got a B. And she celebrated that. People mattered to Steph. I mean, she's really good about communicating that. And what occurred to me that night as we sat there is that Steph had had a pretty big influence. And so I asked this question, how many of you sitting up here, how many of these 24 students, how many of you are here because of Steph in some way? And two-thirds of the students raised their hands. Two-thirds of the students. Steph had had an influence in their lives. Steph communicated care so well. People mattered to Steph, and she showed people that they mattered. And because of that, people trusted her and listened to her, and she had influence in their lives. People mattered to Steph. As we continue our series on our values, we're going to look at our second church value today. People matter. We believe nothing matters if people don't matter. People matter. Now, when we talk about that, it's like, well, sure, right? Okay, sure. Next. Like, I don't know that, is anybody out there going to go, no, they don't. No, I don't think so. And we'll dig into that more. But we want to look at how do we know they matter? What what do we do with that, right? So we're going to look at one of my favorite stories in the Bible in in Luke chapter 10. And it's a story you may be familiar with. If you're not, that's okay. We're going to dig into it now but it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is doing his thing, and one day this expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him a question, right? Which is always, always a bad idea. Don't, we read these stories about someone testing Jesus. It's like, they, they don't, they, nobody learns. This doesn't ever end up well. So he wants to test Jesus. He says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus puts it back on him and says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered him back, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. That's right. Do this, and you will live. But the man has one more question. He says to them, who is my neighbor? 
right? And the, and the text, the, the verses tell us he wanted to justify his actions. So he says, who is my neighbor? And just like Jesus does all the time, he responds to this question with a story. That Jesus told stories, he painted pictures, and he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, that this Jewish man was traveling down from to Jerusalem to Jericho. It's, it's 17 miles down this windy road with lots of turns, and, and there's sort of rocky caves and places where, where people could hide. And this guy's traveling down, and he's attacked by bandits, and they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. So not, not good so far. Jesus continues on, he says, but by chance this priest comes along and he sees the man lying there and he crosses to the other side of the road and passes him by. And then a temple assistant, a a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there, but also passed by along the side of the road. I just want to like think about that for a second, right? That a priest, if you want to think about it in our context, like a pastor, like I'm walking down uh, Washington Avenue, and, and someone is laying, bleeding on the side of the road, half dead. And my response, I'm walking there right in front of me, my response is, whoa, that, that, looks, that looks bad. I just want to get around that as, as far away as possible. And just ignore that. And then the lead, I, he crossed to the other side. He didn't just ignore it. He didn't just do one of those like, oh, I didn't see it. He actively went out of his way. And then the Levite, the next guy, the temple assistant, he walked over and looked at him. Boy, that looks, that looks bad. Good luck with that. And he keeps going. And they didn't have any reason to not stop. They, they weren't headed anywhere. Their temple responsibilities had been completed. They were, on, they were leaving the temple, but they walked by. They didn't do anything. And then Jesus says, a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, it's important to know, despise Samaritan, man, Jesus is saying that on purpose. And we get a sense of how Samaritans are viewed because of the despise. Like, that's not a positive word. You don't, you don't throw that around. You don't, your, your in-laws are coming over. You're like, oh, I despise them. Yay! Like, you don't say that to them. If you feel that way, I'm sorry. But you definitely, like, that's not a good word. Samaritans were considered half-breeds. They were Israelites that had intermarried with, with the northern tribes, with some of these pagan tribes. And, and they were looked down on by Jews. In fact, Jews, if they needed to travel to the north of Israel, would, wouldn't walk through Samaria. They'd walk around. They'd go the long way. That's how much they didn't like them. There was a lot of animosity between these two groups. I mean, this is like the, this is the sharks and the jets. I mean, this is the, the patriots and the colts. That's right. One of those, see, one of those teams is good, and the other is the enemy. So he says, a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, what happened? He felt compassion. And really, the word means he had pity. An overwhelming sense of emotion that he needed to do something, that, that he needed to, to care for this guy. Fascinating, right? That, that the two religious guys, that the pastor, that the, the volunteer leader at the church, like that those people walked by, that they, they didn't have time, they didn't want to be inconvenienced, they just moved on past, but that... The Samaritan had compassion and he stopped and he goes over to him and he soothes his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And what's fascinating is he had to rip his own, he didn't bring a first aid kit. You're not pulling out like, oh, I got some band-aids here. Which side, what do you want? Pretty, pretty princess? You want a Hello Kitty? He probably had to tear his own garments to make bandages. He used his own wine as an antiseptic for the wound. He used his own oil as like a lotion or a salve to, to heal him, to make it feel 
better to take some of the pain away. Used his own stuff. And then he puts him on his own donkey and takes him to an inn where, where he's taken care of. And the next day he pays for this, gives the innkeeper two silver coins saying, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I will pay you next time I'm here. And this guy just goes above and beyond in every way possible. And Jesus, because he's Jesus and just is brilliant, says, now which of these three would you say is a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? What's the guy going to say? What's he going to say? Jesus is setting him up here. God doesn't want to say the Samaritan. He doesn't want to say anything positive about a, a Samaritan. But he asks him this question, and the man replies, the one who showed him mercy. Side note, I love that the guy couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, yes, now go and do the same. Go and do the same. People matter to God. And what Jesus is telling us here is that people matter, and not just the people we want to matter, not just the people that it's convenient to matter in our lives, but people matter. Even your enemy, even those who are furthest from you or or most different from you, those people matter. And this is not a new idea. The Bible talks about this concept all the way throughout. We're going to look at a couple verses right now. To give you that, that taste, Leviticus 19, to 34 says, Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Sound familiar? Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. It goes on to say in Psalm 8, 4-5, What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care about them. This is God or this is talking to God here. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Say, man, God, who, who, are, who are humans that we should matter to you and yet we do? Here's a super obscure verse that kind of illustrates this. John 3, 16. You, you've, you've never heard of it? Don't worry about it. It's new. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him should not perish but to have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world. Who's the audience there? The world. People matter to God. Romans 5.10 says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we certainly will be saved through the life of his son. God loved us, traded the life of his son for ours when we were his enemies. Because people matter. You could sum it up like this. In John 13, 34, Jesus says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. Love each other. Right? Now, people won't argue with this. Nobody's going to kind of fight, well, I don't know, people matter. I don't, you know, nobody's going to say that. But far too often, we don't live like this is true. And it comes down to the question Jesus answers here is, and who is my neighbor? I mean, that's the heart of the issue right there, isn't it? That's the heart of the issue. Who's my neighbor? It's like, yeah, okay, I need to love my neighbor. Got it. I'm with you. Thumbs up. Let's do that. But who's my neighbor? Most people would agree that we need to be kind to others. We don't disagree with what we should do, right? What we struggle with is who do we do it to? 
If most people would agree that we should treat others well, then the only way that we could ignore what Jesus says is to limit the pool of people that we need to be concerned with, right? Surely it's not everybody. I mean, surely I don't have to love everybody because, I mean, that sounds like this crazy, life-altering, radical command, right? Love everyone. Love everyone as you want to be loved. Love everyone as yourself. Surely that that can't be it, but folks, if that sounds like a radical, life-altering, fundamentally changing statement, that's because it is. That's because it is. I mean, if we're honest right now in our gut, we're like, I mean, everybody, right? But not like, like not everybody, right? You know, like everybody. Air quote everybody. But not everybody. So how do we do this? If that's what we're called to do, how do we show, how do we live out that people matter to us? I want to give you three things to do. First is this, believe the best. Believe the best of others. Believe the best. All right, what's that mean? How do we look to put ourselves in someone else's shoes? How do we choose to believe the best in them even when we don't see the best? Because what's hard is we know we have bad moments. We know we struggle. We know we have times when we make mistakes and we want grace in those situations, but we are often quick to not extend grace to others. How do we believe the best? When someone says something we disagree with, when, when a politician passes a policy we disagree with, and it's not a fundamentally immoral against what Jesus has said thing, how do we look to believe the best of them and not assume that, that people who are different from us or believe different things are monsters that are out to ruin your existence uniquely? You, not even everybody, you. Like they're trying to ruin your existence. They're out there like cutting your cable cord, slowing down your internet, like they want to mess up your life. How do we believe the best? One of the ways that we can do that is by remembering that people are created in the image of God. That when God created creation, he loves creation, but humans matter uniquely to him because we're created in the image of God. So humanity has an intrinsic value because of the one who created us. We may not see others worth our time and our energy, and we may at times feel worthless, but that's not how God sees people. That's not how God sees us. Worth refers to the cost of an item when it's bought or sold. And so worth can fluctuate depending on performance or outside factors. But value is used to stress importance and significance. Something may not have a lot of worth but might have great value. My grandfather's pocket watch might not be worth a lot of money but it has great value to me. Or put another way, how much would you pay for this car? How much is this car worth? There's, it's a beater. It's rusted. The tires are flat. There's no hood. There's no panels. It, there's not even an engine in there. Like that, that's, that's, not a, that's not a great car. That's the kind of car that if someone gave to you, you're like, come on, man. But this car was recently discovered in a, in a field in Texas. It's a 1967 Shelby GT500 experimental coupe prototype. It's the only one like it in the world. Carol Shelby, a famous car builder, worked on two cars, one named Little Red, one named Green Hornet. Green Hornet went up for auction a couple years ago, and when it got to 1.9 million, it had not reached the reserve price. The owner did not sell it for 1.9 million. 
And this car is just like that other one. It's found in a field. I mean, honestly, if a guy walked by, if this is my house and said, I'd give you 50 bucks for that, I'll be like, seriously? Like, how do I not seem too excited to say yes? That car may not look like it's worth a lot, but it has tremendous value. Not just historical value or to car people or Mustang people, but that car, when somebody, I I think they could take that car out as it is and get a ton of money for it. Doesn't have to look like it's worth a lot for it to have great value. And people have great value because God created us. People have great value to God. We need to see their value as well. How do we believe the best? Second thing we need to do is be present. Be present. We need to pay attention. Our ignorance of the needs of others is not always malicious. Sometimes it is malicious, but sometimes it's just busyness. Our lives get full. We have a lot going on. We are drawn to think about ourselves first. We're drawn to think about our needs. We're drawn to think about our desires. It's incredibly hard for us not to put ourselves in the most important role in our story and and doing so ignore others. How do we be present? I don't know what was going on in the head of the priest or, or the, the Levite. I don't know what was going on in their heads, but they were not in that moment. I, I know, and I've said this too, I pray, we, as a follower of Jesus, pray, God, give me an opportunity. Just, I, God, I want it to be there. And the problem is when opportunities like this show up, I'm too distracted by my own life that I ignore it. We need to pay attention. We need to be willing We need to build relationships with others. How do we look to build bridges? How do we look to communicate to people that they matter by giving them the same attention, the same energy that we would want? It's hard to be in the moment all the time. It's hard. It's hard to not think about life. I have have four small kids, and man, it is sometimes it is hard to think of anything other than I am just trying to survive this moment and not lose a kid. Like, that's it. Like, that's my highest goal. Bring four home. Like, that's it. And so sometimes I'm out and I'm shopping. I have the kids with me and somebody will say hi and I'll say hi and, I'll, or, and I won't really engage. And I'm not even thinking about it because what I'm thinking is, where is everybody? Is everybody here? Stop touching that. Put that down. But how do we look to be present with others? It's not think of your neighbor as yourself. It's love your neighbor as yourself. It's not just think about them, it's love them. Because if if you think only about taking care of your own needs, you may or may not be successful. But folks, if all of us thought about the needs of others, everyone would get their needs met. It's almost like God knew what he was doing when he created us to live in community and give, and give our lives away to other people. It's almost like he had this great plan that it's like, I know how this will work perfectly. We mess it up because we're like, nope, nope, I gotta, I gotta, I'm calling an audible here, God. I'm gonna do me. And then uh, and I'll be good. But there's times in our life where we're not enough, where we need help, where we need support, where we need people to come alongside us and care. And if we're only concerned with ourselves, then in those moments, we will fail spectacularly. We will hurt. We will be lonely. But if we're willing to look to others and be present in their lives and and have eyes to see what's going on, man, we can see people step up for us in ways that we desperately need and, and don't even know how to articulate. 
How do we be present? The Samaritan was present. How do we be present? And the last thing is this. Be a neighbor. Be a neighbor. And what do I mean by that? I mean, do something. Be a neighbor is not a passive command. It's an active one. It's an active one. Love others is not a passive command. It's an active one. Love is a choice. Love is an action. If you're anywhere between the ages of like 33 and 43 then you, and grew up in Christian subculture like I did, you may be familiar with the phrase, love is a verb. From a DC Talk song that I'm still embarrassed to say I still know the words to. But that's true. Love is active. It's not passive. And if you don't believe me, think about a relationship you're in. How does it go over when you passively love someone? How does it go over when you passively celebrate their birthday? How does it, married people, how does it go over when you passively remember your anniversary? Not super well. Not super well. Has anybody felt really loved when it's like, oh, your birthday was yesterday. That's right, happy birthday. Love is an active command. And that's a challenge. That's a challenge. If you're a loner, if you prefer to keep to yourself, if you don't really want anything from anyone, this is not an excuse to disengage from other people. Right? That's what we, we might be tempted to think. It's like some, if you're extroverted, you're like, okay, I can understand that. But if you're introverted, if you, if you kind of like to just keep to yourself, you might be going, well, I'm going to love other people the way I'd want to be loved, and that means just leave me alone. But the problem is it's not treat your neighbor the way you'd want to be treated. It's love your neighbor the way you'd want to be loved. Treating people the way you'd want to be treated means doing what's easy and staying where you're comfortable. But loving people the way that you'd want to be loved, I mean, that's a lot harder, right? Because it's so much more meaningful. We all want to be understood. We all want to be cared for. We all want to be valued. We all want to matter. And loving someone says, I'm not going to do for you what works for me. I'm going to do for you what works for you. How do I get into your world? How do I speak your language? How do I understand your story? How do I experience what you're going through so that I can meet you where you are instead of asking you to come to me? Is that a lot more work? It's a massive amount of work. It's a significant amount of work, but it's also the way that we, we live out what Jesus has done for us and we experience the richness that we want to experience. Loving people means figuring out what makes them tick, what they need, not what's easy for you to give. The Samaritan gave his time. I'm sure he was going somewhere. He gave his time. He gave his supplies. He gave his money. It cost him something to do this. But think of the difference that it made in this guy's life. You don't think this story assuming this was real and not just a story Jesus was, a parable Jesus was telling. But if this was real, you think that that, that that guy that got beat up forgot about this a single day for the rest of his life? I imagine this is one of the most formational experiences that guy had. All because someone was willing to actively love. It goes back to what Jesus said, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. That's what's hard. When we don't love, what we're saying to Jesus is, your love didn't mean that much. Now, maybe we're not actively saying those words, but that's what we're functionally living out, that it, it just didn't matter that much. 
Because if we understood what it meant for us to be loved by him, if we understood what it cost God to send his son to take our place, to bear the shame and the guilt and the pain of what we've done, if we understood what it cost Jesus to surrender his life, to pay the penalty for our sin and rebellion from God, if we understood that, we couldn't help but turn around and love other people. Because no barrier would be too big to cross. We couldn't say, because of what they've done, I I can't love them because we have hurt God so much more. We have rebelled against Him so much more. Loving others is a way for us to say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. It's a way to honor that sacrifice. Love others. Just as I have loved you, so you should love each other. Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he has not already done first. So what does this look like? What does it look like? I think it's a fair question. This is one of those things where it looks different depending on who you are and your your experience and, and who's around you in your life. But maybe it looks like the police officer who stumbled across a couple who are currently shooting up heroin. And the woman was eight and a half months pregnant. In that moment, God poked on his heart and he said, I'm willing to adopt your child. And so he did. He adopted these addicts' baby. And he also said to them, I'm committed to seeing you successfully go through rehab. I'm, I'm committed to seeing you get healthy. I'm committed to walking with you through this journey. That's being a neighbor. He didn't know these people. He didn't have to do this, but he chose to. He looked to actively love them, even at cost to himself. Or maybe it looks like the students at Arbor Preparatory High School, when after the Parkland shooting, 17 people were killed, 14 students, three adults were killed, the students decided, we want to communicate care to everybody. And so they each got 17 post-it notes, and they spread them out all over the school. Teachers, janitorial staff, cafeteria workers, students, everybody got it. Not a single locker didn't have notes. Not a single staff member, down to the part-time custodian, didn't get note of encouragement affirmation. What were they doing? They're showing that people matter. They wanted everyone to know that they matter being a neighbor. Or maybe it's the woman who sat next to the father with the tiny little infant on his lap. That's never a good feeling, right? I mean, I have small kids. I'm, I'm the one bringing them on the plane, and I just want to say why well, I can get everybody at once. I apologize. I'm sorry. That's never a good feeling, right? You see the baby, the woman with the, or the, the dad or a parent with the young kid sits next to you, you're just like, oh, sweet goodness. Dad's tired. He hasn't been sleeping. I mean, he just, you can see it on his face and this little tiny baby is like trying to crawl out of his arms to this woman who's sitting next to him and he's just thinking like, for the love, man, for the love, just come on. And the woman says, here, give him to me. I'll hold him. Bring him to me. Baby falls asleep right away. And the woman says, I tell you what, I'm going to hold him. Why don't you take a nap? You look like you could use it. That's being a neighbor. That's looking to love someone and engage with them where they are and what they need. And so some of the questions for us to wrestle through is, who does God want you to encourage today? How do you look to be a neighbor? Who does God want you to encourage today? That's a small step. That's an easy win. Who does God want you to encourage today? 
And not just someone right in your immediate sphere. Who, who in your life, who maybe that you, you've never encouraged before, that you've never said anything to before, who can you encourage today? Another question, who might God want you to protect this week? Who might God want you to protect? Who needs help? Who needs support and is too afraid or too scared to ask for it? Who might God want you to protect this week? Who is God asking you to love? Who is God asking you to love? And I think it's worth you thinking through this. Who is your heart hardest to? Who has wronged you or hurt you? How can you treat them like they matter? I know that's a hard question to wrestle through, but that's the picture that Jesus painted, and that's the very thing God did for us. Who is God asking you to love? I want you to think of that name in your mind right now. Think it, maybe it's, you're thinking of their first name. Maybe you're thinking of just their role in your life, mother, father, brother, coworker, neighbor. Who is that person? Who in your life do you want to see sit in these seats sometime in the future? Sometime maybe next week, next month, a year from now, five years from now. Who in your life do you want to see sitting here? What I want you to do is think of that name. Take your phone out. Take your phone out. I know you got him. Don't pretend like you don't. None of you left home without it. Take your phone out. And I want you to text that name. Text Ridge and the name of the person who matters, first name, or their role in your life. It's just one word to the number 22333. And I just want to encourage you, if they happen to be sitting next to you because they came today for the first time and they have a super unique name, maybe don't use that because they're right here. Think about how you can care for the people that you want to see here. But I want you to text that number in. I want you to text that in right now. I texted mine in. I want you to text it in. Because I want to see what this looks, I want to show you what this looks like. These are the people that we care about. These are the people that matter to us. If you haven't done it yet, that's okay. Do it right now. Text them in. If they're important enough for you to send their name up here, how can you love them the way that God has first loved you? How can you go above and beyond? How can you step into their story? How can you walk with them? What would it look like if you did? Because folks, if you're here this morning and you'd call yourself a follower of Jesus, then I want to remind you that there was a time when you were someone else's name. There was a time when someone would have texted in your name. How grateful are you that they believed that you mattered? 